Welcome, True Believer readers, to another episode of Let's Read Spider-Man, the best podcast to break down hard-hitting dialogue such as, Why do you keep staring up at the sky? Pete's not going to fly in, silly. He's not a bird or a plane, you know. Here to provide analysis for that line, and so much more, is my friend Eddie. How are you today, Eddie? Um, I, I uh, am doing quite well today. I, well, MJ's not looking for Superman. She's looking for Spider-Man. Peter Parker? It's a very serious manner. Eddie, Marvel team-up is over, and we're going to be covering a new title. It's a Web of Spider-Man. Super excited, James B. It's happened. Um, the story arcs for Web of Spider-Man are more connected than Marvel team-up. Uh, so I'm going to try writing summaries that are a little more web-like, uh, a little less chronological, okay? Yeah, we have no choice. It's already been written that way in the show notes. So uh, <laughs> go ahead and uh, we'll see what kind of uh, editing disaster you're going to cause me. <laughs> well, James, you got to tell us what books we're covering. Go for, <laughs> what are oh, they? We're covering three of them. I guess I'll do it in one shot. From April, May, and June of 1985, Stanley presents Web of Spider-Man 1, 2, and 3, Till Death Do Us Part, Treasures and Iron Bars Do Not a Prison Make, all written by Louise Simonson, penciled by Greg LaRocque, and inked by Jim Mooney. The bulk of these books feature a new team of villains, the Vulturians, and the original Vulture, Adrian Toomes, arguably more so than Spider-Man. You think so, James B.? Um, yeah, I think you're... I, I think the Vulturians are in all the books, but the secondary villain, I wouldn't say it's the Vulture. It switches from the symbiote in the first book to the Kingpin in the second book to Adrian Toomes in the third book. But the Vulturians are the constant of the three books and, I mean, the worst villains of the four. All right, let's talk about the villains, James B. The Vulturians are composed of a group of four individuals, Pigeon, Honcho, Sugarface, and Gripes. While in jail, Honcho worked alongside Adrian Toomes in the machine shop. Uh, who the heck is letting Adrian Toomes work in a machine shop? Must be the same warden who put Mr. Hyde and Cobra in prison together. Ouch. Uh, <laughs> there, a chatty Toomes divulges the secret of his wings to the seemingly dim-witted Honcho. Hasn't Adrian Toomes done this before? Uh, he has. Once Honcho is out of prison, he re-engineers the vulture's wings for himself and his three delinquent buddies. Together, they hatch a plan to take down Spider-Man in front of the Kingpin as an audition to be the Kingpin's new set of assassins. As the high-flying battle rages, Spider-Man is... Defeated. But he takes the Vulturians down with him. The Kingpin is irritated that the battle upset his ailing wife, Vanessa. I actually really enjoy the plotline of the Vulturians' plan to put on a show for the Kingpin. They look like crimson centurion versions of the Vulture. They fly around like a pack of teenagers, though, with goofy gang names, as you mentioned. Pigeon, Honcho, Sugar-Facing Gripes. Uh, one of them stutters, by the way. I think he's the nice one. They're barely accomplishing anything until they add poison blow darts to their repertoire. Which has to be the most impossible weapon a flying <laughs> villain could use I, I, shooting a dart from a shooting a blow dart is kind of difficult to time because like it's not an instantaneous thing and they are like in flight as they're fighting spider-man oh my goodness terrible weapon less probable using a blow dart as a weapon while flying or Talking to Adrian Toomes and creating your own set of vulture wings and flying around as a group of people. 
<laughs> well, since it's happened before, it's possible someone could create wings just talking to him. Definitely the blow darts are impossible mm. there, James B. They both irritate me. <laughs> well, the kingpin might be irritated also. But the original vulture, Adrian Toomes, is furious that some two-bit hoods would attempt to mimic him. The anger energizes the old man to build his own set of wings to bust out of prison and murder the imposters. Correction, Eddie. He has them under his mattress all along. He reads the Daily Bugle on page one and sees her out there. And on page two, he escapes in a full page splash page. He has the wings. I I can't believe that, but okay. The Vulturians, having not impressed the kingpin, have resorted to robbing jewelry stores. Soon after, Adrian Toomes flies down the quartet of imposters and with little trouble defeats them. Spider-Man is mixed up in this battle and he eventually ends up unconscious, but Toomes doesn't finish our hero and flies off. Apparently the way to avoid the perils of old age is to occasionally get raging angry, beat up some people with your super-powered wigs. How many more battles does Adrian Toomes have in him? Hey, the Vulture is the best villain. That's why he's being imitated here. There aren't any, like, Electroians or, or Octopusians, right? So, Good point, James B. But I I'm not mentioning our real hero until the end of this villain's summary. Let's talk about Spider-Man. At the start of these books, we see Peter putting on his red and blue costume, only to discover that it's... The symbiote. Peter immediately recognizes the bonding peril he's in, but can't get the symbiote off. Peter puts himself purposely in danger, but the symbiote saves him and protects him from hurting himself. Eventually, Spider-Man and the symbiote must work together to knock out... The Vulturians. Spider-Man, worried he won't make it to Reed Richards, hurls himself next to some ringing church bells. Uh, acting like Reed Richards' sonic gun, the symbiote peels off Peter but weakens him to near death. The narrator tells us the symbiote has acquired feelings or emotions, and that's why the symbiote drags Peter to safety and vanishes. Yeah, for some unknown reason, the ringing of the bells apparently could also kill someone and Spider-Man even tosses a Vulturian away to safety because he's afraid that guy's going to die. Wow, really? Well, the... Well, uh, that's, what this, that's what the... Like, he throws him as like, I, you know, you don't deserve to die for this. And then he just lays down to die. And the symbiote's like, well, I don't need you to die here either. It drags him <laughs> down the stairs. I'm like, the bell ringing was going to kill you? Like, is that really that, I, that powerful? I assume the symbiote had weakened him when he unbonded from him, but... But, I mean, he did drag him out because it's the bells that are going to kill him. That's why I he guess... dragged him away. He was That's why he moved him. He only moved his body. He didn't, like, give him mouth-to-mouth -mouth or heal as his a, wounds. As a person regularly exposed to very loud noises, this is very hard to believe. That's true. <laughs> uh, the Well, the, the symbiote struggles ends the first book. For the next two books, Spider-Man is mixing it up with the Vulturians and the Vulture. Yeah, but, Eddie, Spider-Man battles the symbiote in the first book while fighting the Centurions, and that gives them the advantage. And Louise Simonson even has the villains in these books comment, we couldn't have beaten him, but he was busy fighting with his own costume like it was alive. When it's a fair fight, Spider-Man wins, but when he's handicapped, he's he's going to lose, and he's handicapped in all these books. Very true, James B. Now, let's talk about Joe Robbie and the Daily Bugle. 
Uh, there's some real conflict at the bugle. Joe Robbie is irritated with Jay Jonah because he is trying to usurp the editor-in-chief, insisting the Bugle publish a negative expose about how terrible Spider-Man is for the city. Remarkably, Peter sides with Jay Jonah. This is in the hopes of getting the chance to be paid more for some pictures of Spider-Man. But when Peter brings Jay Jonah some pictures that don't incriminate Spider-Man enough, he says he can't use them. I can't believe J. Jonah can stand to be the publisher instead of the editor-in-chief here. Yeah, but Eddie, it sounds like J. Jonah has another plan, something besides the Daily Bugle that he's working on, something that he can be in charge of. Did you understand that was happening? I I don't know if that's the vibe that I got here. There's, there's clear conflict, too. Eh. All right, well, enough of these guys. Let's talk about the ladies. Mary Jane Watson was supposed to go to the hospital with Peter to see the latest addition to the Osborne family, a baby. Uh, uh, do, they, do they say the baby's name? I, I don't think they do, James B. I think they say Godson. But I don't think they see it either. Hope his name is not like Ozzy, like Ozzy Osbourne. So glad I didn't mess that up. I, I looked for a while, too. Well, MJ is staring out the window of Liz Osborne's hospital room. When Liz asks MJ if she and Peter are serious again, she says, no, no, of course not. Eventually, we see Peter and MJ meet up for lunch, and they discuss the idea of Peter telling Aunt May about his secret identity. MJ makes a convincing argument that she deserves to know. I like seeing Mary Jane being difficult with Peter here. Later, Peter wants to talk about them being a couple, but MJ's still too afraid of being part of the constant danger Peter is in. She turns the questions around and asks him why Peter can't talk to his aunt. Eddie, there was a time when there were like five women in his life, and then when he seemed to be exclusive to the black cat. Right now, it's the start of this MJ or bust saga in these books. Yeah. I don't think we're getting anyone else for a while, so the complicated ladies of Peter Parker's life is going to be on the back burner because it's just MJ and one other person. You, uh, do you know who it is? Uh, is it Candy or Randy or Bambi? <laughs> No, no, it's not, it's none of them, Eddie. <laughs> it's a, it is a woman, though, of course. Uh, it's a person we haven't seen or heard from in our other titles in quite some time. Aunt May. Aunt May is having trouble paying the bills, and despite Nathan's optimism that her borders will help, she's worried. She also still won't talk to Peter. Aunt May is still angry about Peter quitting school and still thinks Peter has enough trouble paying his own bills without worrying about hers. Thankfully, Aunt May's birthday happens during the third book. Nathan and the boarders throw her a big party. Uh, despite this gathering, Aunt May's spirits aren't lifted until she finds a present from her nephew outside her back door. I'm going to ask you a question. You have two seconds to answer. Ready? Okay. How old is Aunt May? Uh, 75. Eddie, is this gift supposed to be a way to end the storyline of Aunt May being mad at Peter? Um, I, 
I suppose uh, it's, it's a huge plot point in these three books. Uh, it's time for a new segment, James B. Ooh. What did Spider-Man do? Listeners, what was Aunt May's present? A hat, a teapot, or some cash with a card? Did you think it was a hat? If you did, you're correct, listeners. Thank you for playing What Did Spider-Man Do? It was a fancy hat that Spider-Man has been trying to get to the post office to send to Aunt May for two books. While he fought the Vulturians, he held on to the hat in a hat box the whole time, and although he lost the hat at the end of the battle, the kingpin from his skyscraper noticed that Spider-Man was carrying a hat and had a helicopter fly in a new one to give to him as he woke up from unconsciousness. Spider-Man then almost loses the new hat a second time when he fights the Vulture and never gets it to the post office, so he ends up delivering it in person to Aunt May's house. And now it's time for our sponsor. Listeners, The Daily Bugle presents Live with Eddie. Each week, our sponsor, The Daily Bugle, lets Eddie interview someone at the scene of these stories. Today, Eddie, please welcome Bambi. (laughs) Hi, Bambi. How are you doing today? Did you see Spider-Man? He was flying by. Uh, You know, I didn't see him, but uh, did you have any idea why he might be doing that? I think he stole a hat. (laughs) He had a hat box in his hand. Uh, uh, Do you uh, like uh, hats, Bambi? We was on the roof and we was, it was kind of cold, but we was doing some, some work with a bureau. We was chipping off the paint. (laughs) Because Randy said it was a good time to do it, but it was cold. Well, Bambi, it's past the season for being on a roof. So uh, you you got to save these things for the spring. <laughs> and it was in a box, the hat. It was like a hat box. <laughs> okay, Bambi. Well, uh, thank you. Uh, thank you for your insight. <laughs> Thank you, Eddie, and thank you, Bambi. That's all the time we have for today. Remember to check out our sponsor, The Daily Bugle, for even more news and more first-hand accounts like this. Eddie, how can people reach us? You can email us at letsreadspiderman at gmail.com. And now it's time to close the show. I'm James B., and here is Eddie with the most shocking moment of these books. While Mary Jane and Peter are eating lunch in the cafe, Mary Jane says aloud, You just want to put on your Spider-Man costume and go looking for the vulture. Shocking. Goodbye. Goodbye. I know. <laughs> don't say that you don't want to. But, uh, well, it wasn't as funny as when Nathan recognizes Adrian mm. Toomes as the vulture. <laughs> and he's like, maybe for a little extra cash, I'll go, you know, flying around with him. <laughs> <laughs>
I mean, it's it was a great tie-in because it showed the fact that they need the money and also it's at the same beautiful. time that they had a relationship together. Think of it. Nathan yeah. knows Adrian Toomes, the vulture, while Aunt May had a good relationship going on with Doc Ock, right? That's true. They both have very intimate relationships with very prominent longtime villains. So. Sure, sure. You know, we had the Kingpin, we had the Symbiote, we had the Vulture. Even though yes. the Vulturians were there, Eddie, I'm sorry, I think the Vulture was the least important of the three characters running on these books. I think the Symbiote had a lot more going on with the fact that it hid inside his costume and then it saved him. I think that was like a huge plot line that we had to kind of glean past because True. it just went away for two books nobody cared about anymore. I, We know the Symbiote's coming back at some point. The symbiote's kind of popping around the titles and completely disappearing. That's, that's how I feel it's evolving in the writing which is super fun to me but it was only in the first book you know okay. like at the beginning well, so I wish a symbiote could pop over back to Amazing Spider-Man and be in all those books because gotta tell you, <laughs> next podcast we got some uh, not Amazing Spider-Man books James B you're not hyping up the audience <laughs> well we're gonna do a good job with them right James B mm, this is where we'll fade out the music and we'll talk <laughs> offline